Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we are sitting down with a conversation with Steve Cabucci from Wolves at the Gate. So be sure to stick around for that. But before we get to that, I just want you to know that you aren't here by coincidence. The show isn't average. The only reason I'm here is to try to bring value on your life in some way. So whether it be a mental health talk, a wellness check, fun conversation to take your mind off things, or just a simple hi, this is for you. You were seen, you were loved, and you have purpose. And if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, or just need someone to talk to, please go to deathtolife.com. Again, that's death, the number two, life.com. There's somebody there 24-7 to talk to you. Suicide's never the answer, and there's always a reason to live another day. So with that being said, we have Steve from one of my all-time favorite bands here, Wolves at the Gate. Steve, welcome to the show, my man. Super excited to have you on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. So how has your family been during this crazy 2020 year we've been having? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we're going through all the same stuff most other people are going through. Uh, the, yeah, the only different thing for us was uh, we had uh, our third child. Um, yeah, right at the end of June. So, you know, that was uh, I mean, it was still pretty normal. There was yeah. like a there was a thought for a second that I wouldn't get to be uh, at the hospital with my wife and mm-hmm. see my son get born, um, but uh, they ended up letting me just come in. So, uh, dude, I love that. Was it yeah. different than you have three children now? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, was it different at the hospital? Than um, the other times. Well, the whole experience was different for us. So, our first two kids were twins. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Um, and because of the nature of it being twins, you know, basically had a totally different delivery, uh, you know, type. It was a C-section the first time and it was natural this time. So I've seen it all. Uh, and it is wild. doesn't matter how it happens. It is wild. Um, you know, I had to keep a mask on the whole time. They made my wife wear a mask the whole time while she's, you know, in labor. Oh, my God. Which I was just like, yo, guys, could we just chill out for just, you know today i I can't even imagine that because one of the key things they say is breathe right so she's breathing in some hot air (laughs) yeah yeah definitely but she was a champ and yeah she did a great job um so yeah honestly it's i kind of feel bad i know that there's a lot of people that this this quarantine is really hitting hard but it hasn't really changed our lives too much the only thing that happened you know is uh, we had to cancel a tour with wolves, which, mm. you know, it's not, that's really not a big deal in the scope of things. And, sure. um, it's been a bummer just to not be able to get together with people from our church and our friends and things like that. But, um, yeah, all of that's been odd, but other than that, life as usual, man. Dude, I've found that this whole quarantine season was both destructive and helpful when it comes Mm -hmm. to family life, just because a lot of people that are workaholics or even touring musicians and stuff, if they're married to their career first, it kind of gave them a second to step back and find the real value in life, which would be family and such. So Mm -hmm. uh, congratulations on your child. I'm super, super excited to hear that your family is expanding. I know that's one of the key things in your life. I remember um, last year we came and did a video with Nick at one of your South Carolina shows. And I was like, dude, y'all should tour more, blah, blah, blah. And you were like, well, what if I don't want to tour more? 
And I was like, what do you mean? Because in my head, it's like when you have a band, like you're always wanting to tour and your answer was amazing. And it, I, I thought about it the whole ride home. I think it was like three hours back to Atlanta. Um, I thought about it the whole ride home, just like you value your family more so than your career, which you don't see very often in any kind of industry of touring musicians. Um, and it, it wasn't shocking, but it was just like not the answer that I'm used to hearing. So I I commend you for that. And it opened my eyes and I heard every single word you said so clearly just because like in that scope of things, I'm always like, I need to tour, tour, tour. I need to get out. I need to do this. I don't have a family yet. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit easier for me, but like just learning to value my time with my parents and my brothers. I'm a twin and then my two older brothers are twins. Oh, cool. So I've got three brothers to chill out with. But over the past two years, it's just been like, okay, I'm getting off the road at this time. I need to get out. I'm not a musician. So it's a little bit harder for me to get um, mm-hmm. events. So every single time I'm out, I enjoy it. But I had started to make that a little bit more important than family time. And this pandemic helped me get off the road. I was out and I had five weeks left, but I got to spend that time with my brothers and my family. And mm-hmm. it, it really helped me to restart that part of my life that I'd kind of put on the back burner. So you uh, yeah. put that mindset in my head and I thought it was amazing. But um, other than your child being born this year, you had a music baby come out last year. The album Eclipse came out and I'm, I'm just going to go out and say it and not to um, toot your own horn or anything but like eclipse was the best album of 2019 every single song on it could be a single it just front to back was a beautiful album and where did where did the concept for eclipse come from um like like most things uh i'm never able to like plan out a whole record conceptually uh some guys you're wearing a silent planet hat, you know, Garrett's one of those guys. He's like mapping out like a whole concept. Um, just never really been how my mind, I guess, has worked in the realm of music, which is strange for me because I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm very like practical in my mind and organized. And so that would seem like something that I would do, but I guess when it comes to writing lyrics, I'm very much, you know, driven by um experience and Mm -hmm. what has just been like floating around my mind you know over the past couple years and so for eclipse that's and a lot of these records but eclipse in particular a lot of a lot of those things are really just insights into my mind and my heart and what's been going on in my life and a lot of it was really um you know, you get to a certain point in your life. I'm 33 years old. You know, at that point when I was working on the record, I was married, had two kids, kind of felt, finally felt like I was starting to understand uh, what it is to be a husband, uh, you know, what it is to be a father. I'm not saying I figured it out, but starting to understand what that even is. Uh, really, you know, you, I read lots of books and, you know, studied uh, the Bible, trying to understand what is a godly husband and father look like. But you know, when the rubber meets the road, there's a whole other lesson to be learned. And I think in all those things, you know, um, it's like, I felt like, okay, kind of got a handle on these things. And I felt pretty confident in my beliefs, you know, regarding, um, uh, Christianity. Um, 
but the whole record really revolves around this idea of what is what is it what is it to believe um and um belief is i think we oversimplify it and make belief and faith to be these very simple things these meager things and we exalt a lot of other things but the reality is is um it faith is what credits us righteousness it's this amazing work that god does and faith is also this powerful um thing that we have that can be incredibly um life-giving or incredibly destructive depending on um how much or how little i guess we have sure um and so for me you know eclipse came down to um this idea of how how strongly do you hold to the things you believe when you're not really given much of the reason to believe it if that makes sense um yeah go ahead what's up no, like, I think that's amazing. And the fact that you put your faith as a strong emphasis on your music, has it always been that way? Uh, yeah. And to be honest, it's I feel like it's the only thing of value I have to share. Um, it's the only thing that I feel like I could, um, with confidence, tell somebody this is, hey, listen to this, or this is worth thinking about. Because as musicians, when you write a song, that's what you're telling people. Hey, you should pay attention to this. Um, you should think about this. Even if it's somebody just writing a trite love song, you know, like a pop song that is just so shallow, they're saying, have a shallow thought about love. You know, everyone's kind of preaching a message. And so um, that's kind of, for me, I, you know, that's, that's where I've just been driven to over and over again. It's not like I have some mantra. It's just I'm compelled to. Um, so. So one of the songs that pops into my head when I think about Wolves of the Gate and Faith is The Bird and the Snake. It's just, it's a work of art, but it's it's driven by imagery, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What, can you break that song down for me? Like, where did the inspiration for that come from? And you guys have an amazing acoustic album. I think that was one of the first things I heard from you guys mm-hmm. and what really turned me on to um, your lyrics and just everything about the band. So the bird and the snake, where did that come from? Um, sometimes I'm fortunate enough to think of a story. I, I love being able to tell stories and songs. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, God gives me the creative, your creativity to think of uh, a way to describe um, a situation in, you know, metaphorical artistic way. And so really just this, the imagery popped into my head as really like no other way to say it, you know, is um, just thinking about um, everybody's an addict. Hmm. Everybody is an addict. Um, our addictions just all look different. And, uh, you know, I at that point in my life, I'd really started to become more sympathetic to people that had addictions, because when you change your mindset to think about addiction in that light, really in the true way that it applies to everybody. Um, addicts are no longer these like, oh, you know, scum of the earth, low life, you know, the way that we would just look at them is less than human, which isn't true, because we all are like that. It's just how visible or invisible it is. And so that imagery, I think, really shows um, what what most people believe about overcoming an addiction and affliction of vice is that everybody for everybody for 
whether it's to a great deal or, you know, in, in small regards, everybody believes that they can overcome their addiction sure. by their own power and means. And I don't believe that. Um, you know, I what I believe is should, there are people who have overcome addictions, but traded for something else. And it might not be this visibly destructive one, but it is just as destructive to the soul. Um, sure. And uh, and so I wanted to write a song that would kind of level like, uh, you know, level the playing field for everybody to look at it with equality. Um, and also for, you know, because there is a portion of our audience, you know, that is brought up in the church, um, you know, just feel like they were born into Christianity, which there's no such thing as that. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, you yeah. know? Um, and I think there's a real, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality in much of American Christianity that is, uh, it's, it's unbiblical. It's not, it's not, it's not how we are supposed to look at ourselves. And I wanted the song to almost trick people into thinking, oh, the bird's going to find a way out, but he doesn't because he tries to do it within his own means. Um, and he constantly thinks, you know, I'm going to get out of this. That's basically, you see that in the bird that he's just like one more, one more, one more, you know, um, it's not a big deal. Um, and basically in the story, the bird and the snake, it's just this uh, snake that approaches this bird. And I don't know if you've ever seen birds, but all day they are moving, man. They're looking to eat. They basically, I think they have to eat like their body weight. Most, most birds, they have to eat their body weight like almost every day. Oh my goodness. Might be wrong, but they have to eat a lot. Um, and so the snake approaches the bird and basically says like, listen, like you're working so hard to get your food, you know, why don't you let me, I'll bring a worm to you every day. I'll bring you food. Just trade me a feather. Um, and the bird kind of sees it as like, this is not a big deal. So he continues to trade him. And then once the snake knows that he's hooked, he ups the ante three, three feathers for one worm. And then again, he ups the ante again, six to one. And the bird's like, I got plenty of feathers, you know, and he, but then he gets to the point where he's just like, no, I'm sick of this. I'm done. You know, you're taking advantage of me and you're ruining my life and blah, blah, blah. And uh, when he finally decides he's going to, he's going to end this relationship with the snake, he doesn't have enough feathers to fly away and the snake devours him. Um, and it's really, I, I guess I wanted it to be pretty like um, sobering for people to look at and to think like, you know, if I try to do this through my own strength and by myself, um, I, it's not going to produce a good result. Um, sure. And really, it's with the hope that people would would see their need and then consider a, a lot of our other songs that talk about a God who's willing to meet that great need that we have. Um, and so that's that. I love that. And I've seen you guys play several times over the past two years and your show is intense and I love that. But in your set, you present the gospel every single night. And a few times I've been there and there's been hecklers out in the crowd that don't want to hear it. And they let you know mid sentence, but you respond with grace and love. What keeps you calm in that moment? Uh, God's grace and love to me. Um, you know, uh, when I, think about people that, you know, will mock us for preaching the gospel. Um, I, I was a mocker of God. Um, you know, I hated him without cause. 
um, I rejected his love. And it's only in view of the great patience that he's had with me and the great mercy and grace that he's shown me that um, I, I know what I was and I was blind and lost. And so when I hear people saying those things, I know it's just coming from uh, blindness and lostness. And, you know, I, we don't really like this word as Americans, but the word pity, there's a, there's almost a pity that I have. Not that I think that I'm better than them, but I, I just, there's a brokenness that I feel um, that's only come from just really understanding my, my position that I was in before God and how I treated him and, you know, the kindness that he showed me, like the way that my heart was towards him, the way that I viewed him, the way I viewed myself in light of him, he should have had nothing to do with me. Um, he should have been like, you're a lost cause. Like, you're a mocker of me, you a denier of me. Um, and that's not how he treated me. You know, uh, he showed me mercy and compassion. And so what good would this message be where I'm in, trying to call people and invite them to, to see and believe the love of God. If I just show them wrath, I'm acting like somebody who I'm acting contrary to what I'm inviting people to come and believe. And so, um, yeah, it's something that God has done to me and in me. Um, and I need to keep that in my mind when I get up to, to do that. Otherwise it could be, it could be bad. Um, if I get up there thinking I need to go do this cause it's this good deed and good Christians do this. And that people will think I'm really righteous. You're messing up your heart uh, and you're messing up your mind and you're not putting others in a good place to actually hear of God's mercy. And so for me, it's really just having to put, remind myself of the great grace that's been shown to me. And what it normally does is, is humbles me. Um, yeah. and, uh, it, it, it really helps. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of your bandmates, like, uh, Abishai is a barber in Nashville, mm-hmm. but he works with a organization that gives homeless people haircuts. Um, Nick, he's one of those dudes that'll give you the shirt off his back. He, even if it's sweaty as crap after a show, like if you need it, he's got you. Um, and you like, you're the exact same way. So you've got all these amazing band members that you get to travel with. I've, um, come out to shows and seen afterwards people like coming up and swamping the merch table and I'll jump in and I'm pretty sure like I probably annoy the crap out of you guys. Oh, you sign this, sign this, like uh, trying to get everybody taken care of. But you, you all just walk with this position of like, I'm not here to grow my name. I'm not mm-hmm. here to say, Hey, I'm Steve. This is my band wolves at the gate. And nobody's trying to one up each other. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've really noticed is that you carry the gospel very well. And you make sure that that's the main position of your band every single night. It doesn't matter who you're on tour with, whether you're playing a Christian festival or touring with the most secular band in the world, you're going to give the same message every night. Nothing's ever different about the message, except it gets stronger and more emphasis on the gospel. Mm -hmm. And when you were starting the band and before you found any success at all with Wolves at the Gate, how was it just getting into the metal spectrum with a faith-based band and how that get started? Um, I mean, 
So the only two like original members are Ben Summers and I, and and we're kind of the he was the first person that I guess I contacted in starting the band, and so it's so that's always been our goal. I think for us, we love music, man. Really, just love music so much. Uh, to be honest, like um, if tomorrow somebody told me that nobody cares about our band, I'd still write songs because I just love doing it. Um, I wouldn't put it out because <laughs> I'd still write them, you know. Yeah. Um, but we. You know, in our love for music, we just noticed that it's like we really wish that there was something for us more in music. There's lots of great bands out there with like really cool lyrics that are really interesting and they're, they're you know, clever and thoughtful. But there wasn't really anything that showed me uh, a more beautiful savior. Um, it was always just like shrouded or hidden or just non-existent. And so... That was just something we wanted to do. I guess, again, it's just I was out of the overflow of seeing how greatly we've been loved and um, the great grace that we have in Christ that it's just we wanted to see that ourselves and to and to show that to, to others and share that with others, whether they whether they are believers or not. And so that was really how it started. We also, you know, we were going to a you know, conservative Christian college. And for me, like, I was just like, I needed to kind of get out of the bubble of, you know, the classic Christian college thing where everybody's learning about Christianity, but you don't ever interact with like anybody outside of your belief system or anybody that is an unbeliever. Um, and um, so that was just kind of a way um, for us to get out there. And um, yeah, it was, I don't know. I don't know what it, I don't know whether we were allowed into the music scene or not, but we showed up and we didn't, we didn't leave, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, things grew for our band, just, you know, not by, not because we knew what we were doing, but I guess there were just people that enjoyed it, you know? And so it just started off really meager and simple. Um, and God just gave us an opportunity, which is kind of weird to think about, you know, yeah. as far down the road. And I remember the first time I saw you guys, I was hosting an event in California called Joshua Fest, and you guys were playing on uh, one of the metal stage, really. It was the rock stage. And um, I remember y'all set started, I think, as for King and Country was ending on the other stage. So I was on main stage doing... Um, wrapping up their set and i heard the bass kick in and everything and we were having like this powerful moment i was praying like on my knees just praying over the crowd and i hear the drums get going and i'm like oh i gotta wrap this up so right after i um jump off stage gave mike my microphone and hopped on the golf cart and headed down there and i missed like the first 10 minutes but i was just in awe the whole time just because I'd heard you guys for a while. I'd always wanted to see you guys live, but the fact that the first time I saw you guys play, I was able to close um, your set out. I think y'all were right before Silent Planet, and I've never been one to like go buy everything at a merch table, especially when I got to fly home the next day and take it all. Um, but every 
single time I've seen you guys play, I'll like buy one of everything just because, and I don't know if the people listening uh, to this podcast right now know it, but when bands are on tour, they're not necessarily making their money from the shows. It's more so merch and album sales and such. So if you're listening to this, you need some cool merch. One thing that I do is if I need, if I find myself wanting to expand my wardrobe, I go buy band merch just because if you're wearing a Nike shirt or an Adidas shirt on your everyday life walking through the airport walking uh, down the street doesn't matter like people are going to see it and it's putting someone in a position of power for being a walking billboard so walk around with band merch and you help them expand their audience and you're helping them live but you guys just carry the message of the gospel so well your music shows it and i have one more song i want you to break down for us and that's dead man um, specifically because I don't know why that one just hits different for me, but I also think that there is a position of like overcoming mental health embedded in there somewhere. And I know it's more so about like finding Jesus and mm-hmm. you were once a dead man, a stranger with no hope, but now you're alive. But for me as a mental health advocate, as someone who most of the time is talking about mental health and the position of faith on that, what what does the song Dead Man mean to you? Um it's it's uh I love I love how much people love that song. It's a little surprising to me in some senses just because um the song is literally just like you know mental uh me mentally just like throwing up everywhere uh <laughs> in the nicest way possible. Yeah. Um it was, you know, it was just like everything that was rattling in my mind. And at that point in my life, I was really coming to grips with um, what it was that Jesus actually accomplished mm. on the cross for me. Not just this, you know, everybody can just say a couple trite remarks about who Jesus was and what he did on earth. Um, but I was really understanding what that meant for me Mm. um because jesus is not an ambiguous savior he's dying for people and that's what was really uh like rattling for me um understanding the personal and intimate nature of what he was doing and really taking my place and then giving me his um and it was just changing my mind so so much, Um, you know, and it's interesting, you know, obviously like, you know, you preface this interview with me uh, long before today, just, um, you know, talking about mental health advocacy. And to be honest, I I don't really, I don't really know a lot about, I don't, I don't know the the terms or phrases, the semantics of, of what all that entails. But I do know this is that, um, so much of our mental health has to do with, again, what we believe, mm. what we're believing about ourselves, what we believe about others, what we believe about reality, what we believe about God, um, what we don't believe about God, what we believe about what, what true religion is, what we believe is not true religion, all these things. So much of it comes down to belief. And I think the things that can really become very troubling and challenging in people's lives comes down to belief um and and 
so much of it can get tied back to things you learned when you were a kid, things that you learned by experience, things that were done to you, things that were not done, were not done for you. Um, and so much of that is wrapped up in belief. And so dead man was really just coming from my belief being like fortified, like truly being fed. Like I just had this, like the smallest little bit of understanding and belief. And in that point in my life, I was just, God was putting so much information in front of me and ways for me to learn about what does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? Why does it really matter that this Jewish man who is God died on the cross? What does that have to do with me 2000 years later? How does that even affect me? You know, like I, I was really wondering those questions because so many people just, they just throw these words around and nobody would ever break it down and help me understand like the, you know, the nitty gritty of it. And so really my lack of understanding and really true belief in those things affected everything about my life. And I just understood at that time, I understood like, you know, without this true understanding, like I was just dead, you know, um, dead to God, you know, um, dead in his eyes, like spiritually. And then also like dead, like having no life. <laughs> Yep. And when people say, oh, you have no life, they're talking about like going out on the weekends. I'm talking about like real joy. I'm talking about real satisfaction, real fulfillment, real peace, real hope. Those are the things that the gospel afforded me as I came to understand it. The true reality of like assurance that God really loves me and I never, ever have to question that again because there's nothing that. I have done to earn his love, but it's what Christ has done to earn his love for me. And it's never going to be taken away. Like you could imagine not having that settled in your mind and not having a sure place you can go and say, I know for sure because of this, you know what that could do to your mind. That'll wreck and ruin you. You basically are walking a tightrope your whole life. And if a wind blows, you, you know, just a breeze, you can get knocked over and you could be done and just completely messed up and ruined. And I think that's what happens to so many people. And so when I say dead man, it was just, just me, just like all of these thoughts, emotions, uh, concepts, all of it just in one song. I mean, I jammed a lot of stuff in there. Um, it's uh, definitely not my most well-crafted lyrical piece, but God's used it. What it in, is. Yeah. In many people's lives, you know, um, and I'm so thankful for that because it just shows um, God's power and, and not mine. Um, so I love that. All my answers are going to be long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love that. And people that are listening to this are going to get so much value from it. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, mm -hmm. if somebody is listening to this show right now, and they feel like they are that dead man or dead woman that's mm -hmm. just walking the earth and don't have a purpose. If they mm -hmm. haven't yet found that beautiful joy that's found in the gospel that can heal them um, mm -hmm. through Jesus, what would your advice be to them? Um, my advice would be, um, think about it this way. It's like everybody, everybody lives inside an, an art gallery and everybody's telling you how beautiful this painting is. Um, and you keep walking by it and you just don't quite understand its, its beauty. Uh, you, and you would feel like I want to, I want to like find this like satisfaction that everybody else is finding in this beautiful painting. I, you go keep looking at it. 
And really what that is, is looking at the gospel, what it is that God has actually done in Christ, that though, though we have, you know, sinned against this, this infinite, perfect God, he's, he has provided this infinitely perfect remedy for our sickness uh, in Christ. And so I would just, I would encourage people to continue to look at this beautiful painting, this beautiful love and, and as well, I think a lot of people really complicate the gospel. Uh, the call is essentially this. It's it's repent and believe. And a lot of people don't like the word repent. But really what repent means is, do you see, do you see that making God your enemy is futile and actually offers you nothing good in this life? Mm-hmm. And that he, that's the, the re- and then seeing that he is good and what he is offering is beautiful and come to him in faith. And then now faith is not perfect. Faith does not understand every nook and cranny. Faith is not the faith of a theologian. It's just, do you believe? Um, even the most meager, smallest, weakest of faith is accepted by God um, because it's not based on our merits. It's based on Jesus's merits, him paying for our sin and him giving us his perfect life in, in our place. And so um, I would just, you know, so many people just, they don't spend enough time looking at really what God has done. And so it's like, uh, you know, that's, that's really what I would encourage people to do. And it's not that it's not a scholastic endeavor, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's like looking at a beautiful picture. It's like, go look at it. And if you don't see the beauty, ask God to help you see it. And if you actually desire that, that's a good sign that he's working in you. Um, because it's not a natural thing for us to even have those desires. Naturally, we don't. And that's why so many people walk around so lost and messed up and without hope and clueless as to what is this life all about. Everything exists. <laughs> it's crazy. Everything's, everything exists for us to see and enjoy God's beauty. It's like, we've all seen things that are beautiful and um, wonderful and satisfying. And the feeling that it gives us is, is like no other, you know, and God's basically invited us to enjoy an infinite taste of something like that. And, you know, what a, what a wonderful thing that is. I think so many people think invite being invited into quote unquote Christianity is you're invited to follow this list of rules. It's like, First, see what the gospel is. See what God has done. Do, do you desire that for you? Do you desire a salvation like that? We'll get to the other stuff later. You have to get that first. You have to see a great savior first. And then the rest of it, I think, will unfold as your eyes are open to really the goodness and love of God. Um, so... I love that so much. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Steve from Wolves at the Gate. Go pick up their new album wherever you stream your music. It's called Eclipse. And if you want to go the extra mile, go buy some merch or a physical copy of the album on their website. You can find them on social media at Wolves at the Gate. And Steve, thank you so much for joining us. This conversation is jam-packed with so much knowledge. And uh, I genuinely appreciate it. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure.
Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.